Hey, welcome to the Risen Nation Church podcast. We're so happy you've joined us. We at Risen Nation Church believe that we are called to prepare a place for God's presence and God's people. If you'd like more information on how to connect or volunteer or even to partner with us in this season, you can find out more information at risennation.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. saying um, my goal is not to give you information my goal is to give you something that'll lead to transformation and I heard I heard a scholar recently this week I was listening to a podcast he said you know I was a pastor for 20 years and I just got tired of protecting people from the Bible so my goal for you tonight is to not protect you you know we were in worship we we're singing you're never gonna let me down I don't know what God you've been serving uh, but I've been let down because I had an expectation or I thought he meant this and he didn't and I felt let down. So maybe he didn't let me down, but okay, I'm not here to put a spoke in all of your theology tonight, I promise. Tonight is gonna be, tonight is gonna be really encouraging and like, yeah, we're a church, you know, I wanna empower you. I wanna hold a sign that says, we love you, you're welcome here. Um, but that's pointless if you're not transformed. So, so tonight we're gonna talk about um, Sabbath. I actually have a clicker, so... If you fall asleep, there's actually a laser on it. See the, is there a laser on it? See the laser? I'm pretty good with the laser sight, so I will get you if you fall asleep, okay? The first one I'm gonna get is probably my wife, because she's gonna be like, I, I hear you talk all day long. And, uh, but, but I have a slideshow. Now, you're gonna have to forgive me, because I think, hey, it worked. Thank you, Jathan. Love you, man. That screen's not centered, that screen is. If you can't read uh, what's on the uh, slideshows tonight, that's okay. Um, by the way, I'm, William and I are totally like polar opposite, okay? It, I'm probably not gonna yell at you, and he's probably watching this right now, I love you. I'm probably not gonna walk around a ton, I might, and if I'm walking around, that means God's doing something, okay? <laughs> I'm like, by nature, I just wanna teach, I wanna encourage you. And, um, you know, we talk a lot about worship and giving and worship and word and worship and music, but Sabbath is part of worship. Um, so my goal for you tonight is to leave church tonight knowing that in your work and in your rest is worship, okay? Um, okay, I have a, like a little intro on this. How many of you know what that picture is of? How many of you were not born before this event took place? Raise your hand. If you were born before, after September 11, 2001, raise your hand high. Just raise it. Oh my goodness, I feel so old. I, I'm, <laughs> so I'm in the military and I have, you know, like these people that, you know, are under me, they're part of my team and like half of them weren't even born in 2001. It was like 2003, four, five and I'm thinking like, oh my gosh. But anyways, I remember this day. Actually, I was in seventh grade. You know, you can do the math. And my mom woke me up to um, the television and, and the first tower was actually hit. Uh, and I didn't, it wasn't until I got to, I think, second or third period where the towers actually came down. And I remember thinking at, uh, in seventh grade, what's going on? Like, are there real, are, are those, is this really real? Uh, it was the first time I feel like in my life, I, evil manifested itself to me. Um, and I remember I was in a, a young Marines program. It's kind of like the Marines version of the Boy Scouts. We actually did a, a funeral for one of the girls that was on the first plane. Um, and it was just a really hard time. And one thing I remember was 
On September 11th, the whole world stopped. They stopped. We didn't even have school like the rest of the week. I don't know if you remember that week. People didn't go to work. The world stopped. Uh, And I was thinking about that this week. Like, it took a mass tragedy for an entire nation to stop. How often does tragedy force us to stop? Think about COVID. I remember when the church had started, Risen Nation, but I kind of came on on staff and we kind of like, not launched, but we were in a building and we kind of went full force when COVID hit. And I remember William and I talking like, how's this gonna work? And I remember we would have these things where we, we didn't know what we're doing. We still don't know what we're doing. Am I right, Gabriel? Like, I don't even know what our marketing timeline is here for each week. We just do it and you guys show up and so welcome. Uh, but I remember during COVID, we would do like these Q&A panels and we'd let people on Facebook ask questions. And I remember one of them being, what do you think God's gonna do with COVID? And I really felt God's gonna teach his people how to rest. I really felt it. And, and listen, I know it was tragic. I'm not trying to dismiss the reality. Like some of you probably lost family members. But how many of you felt like you gained rest? It felt a little chaotic, but the chaos caused you to stop. Okay, so tonight I'm gonna teach you how to stop. And the Bible promotes stopping, okay? Um, because you may or may not, I, I, I talked to LCU students a few weeks ago about um, culture of performance and how everybody's just exhausted. Everybody's tired. And, but everybody's in a hurry to get nowhere and you're tired on your way to get to nowhere. Because um, the reality is you may or may not realize this, but we live in an achievement society that's driven by performance and production. And then we actually, as a church, fall under that thing too. Like just just think about when you're coming to church tonight, what should I wear and what will they think? Or if I get to the front and worship really hard when Todd White's here, will he notice me and give me a word? It's performance. And everybody's restless, right? Everybody's just anxious. So, okay, so you're like, all right, get to the message. I'm getting to the message, okay? I'm kind of giving you an introduction. Uh, do you have notes, by the way, to take, like, you have a notepad? Okay. The, okay, I'm gonna, this is a church, but I'm gonna, this is like a classroom for me. Uh, so I'm gonna teach you, and I expect you, just take some notes, right? Like, that's what you would do, right? You wouldn't even have the Gospels had they not taken notes. So, okay, all right, that's a stinger, but that's, I love you, Okay. <laughs> So what's the remedy? Okay, I, I'll be honest. I'm a fan girl, fan boy. That was weird. Uh, I'm a fan. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think fan girl is like the more popular term. But I'm like a fan girl of this series called The Chosen. How many of you have watched this series? Where's Cameron at? Cameron has the sweatshirt on. I don't even know where you're at. I know you're in the room. Uh, but The Chosen is like this little mini TV series about the life of Jesus, Right? And if you've, how many of you have not, you don't know what I'm talking about, raise your hand. You've never seen The Chosen. Just don't do it right now because I'm teaching and that'd be dishonoring. But when you go home, watch The Chosen. Um, there's this episode in season one, episode two, it's called Sabbath. And the whole episode is the Sabbath day of like them prepping to have their Sabbath meal. Uh, and there's this statement that Mary Magdalene makes. You know, you, you, if you watch it, you'll know the backstory. But basically, in episode one, she basically gets the demons casted out of her. In episode two, she's like a new woman. And she doesn't really know who Jesus is yet. Like, he touches her and he's gone, right? So she's like changed. The Pharisees are like, they try to cast the demons out of her. It didn't work. But she's different. Like, they notice she's different. And what happens is, is she 
we, we can call her, you know, she was a heathen, right? She was a Gentile. So she gets freed, and all of a sudden, she wants to make, like, Sabbath dinner for her friends. And so she's making this Sabbath dinner, and they're getting ready to start, and she gets a knock on the door, and it's Jesus. And she just doesn't know what to say because she hadn't seen him until he casted the demons out of her in the previous episode. It's really powerful. And he comes in, and she's, like, really nervous because it's, like, it's Jesus. Can you imagine, like, preparing a Sabbath dinner, and then the Lord shows up? You're like, gosh, I hope this food is good. <laughs> and basically, she, she, she starts fumbling over her, and she's like, do you wanna leave this? He says, no. He said, honestly, this is your house. It's an honor. I, I would love for you to lead. And she makes a statement. She says this in, in a prayer. It's actually a prayer that the Jewish people pray on Friday evenings before their Sabbath dinner. Uh, but this is kind of a little bit of a twist on it, and I'm just gonna read it. She says this, blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe who creates the fruit of the vine. You have lovingly and willingly given us your Shabbat, which is the Hebrew term for Sabbath. You've lovingly and willingly given us your Shabbat as an inheritance and as a memory of your creation. Okay, Sabbath, where do we start? Genesis, right? So I have a keynote here. I wanna read this really quickly to you. You can't, wow, that's super tiny. I did a bad job, sorry. I'll just read this. Genesis 2, verse 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. Okay, when I mentioned Sabbath, I was at LCU this past week. Some girl had a question. Are you here tonight? Yeah. Did she come tonight, that girl? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Are you, are you answering? G, by the way, G-Man's here tonight. Let's give a hand to G-Man. You're beautiful, man. I love you. But she had a question at the end of one of my sessions. She's like, so what about the Sabbath? Like, isn't Jesus, isn't Jesus our rest? Like, there's tensions we have with that. How many of you are like, you're, you feel a little confused about Sabbath? It's okay to be confused. There's a lot more of you, and you're just feeling insecure. It's okay. This is not a performance house. You could be you, okay? I want you to, this theology of the Sabbath, recognize this, before temptation, sin, the fall, and the law, there was Sabbath. So as charismatics, we, we talk about being justified, we talk about being brought back to perfect state, so you're brought back to Sabbath, because it existed in the garden, right? The word Sabbath means Shabbat, it literally means to stop, Okay? to stop working or to cease. And Shabbat is actually, in its root form, it's actually a verb. So Sabbath isn't just something that we recognize, it's actually something we do. Um, And just one quick note, notice that man was created on the sixth day, along with the animals, and on the seventh day, God rested. So if you just, we're just, can we get a little imaginative? Is that okay? Okay, all right, get a little Catholic, a little Orthodox. Let's let our minds wander a little bit, okay? So if the sixth day they were created, their first full day alive was the day of rest. So there's something that Yahweh is showing us, right? Um, the, numbers, the number seven in Hebrew, okay, this is just like little trivia. You can take this home and do what you want with it. The number seven in Hebrew carries the same amount and same exact letters as the word complete and full. So it's almost as if 
on the fullness of that day, on the completion, he just rested, right? Uh, one writer says this, he says, in the Bible, when something happens in a pattern of seven, it usually involves God rescuing his people out of darkness and death and into a period of abundance or rest in his presence. This is why the Jewish people celebrate the seventh day of rest or Sabbath every week. It's about resting in the presence of God, mirroring the sequence we see in Genesis. Notice this. I all say notice this a lot because I don't know if we're gonna notice it. So if I say notice, like, why does he keep saying notice it? Because I want you to notice it. Uh, out of the entire creation story, now, can I just humble you? Can we humble ourselves real quick? You were created on the same day as animals. You didn't even get your own day. And, okay, listen, don't take this to the courts of heaven, okay? But he didn't even call man holy. There's only one thing in the entire creation story that's holy, and it's the Sabbath day. So everything he creates, none of it's called holy, it's called good. But the Sabbath that's holy. Not only was the Sabbath holy, but it was actually meant for all of creation. Even the animals. Isn't that crazy? Your animals need a break from you, okay? Especially you cat and dog lovers that, you know like those people that love their animals so much they start looking like them? Well, (laughs) we're gonna move on. I don't wanna step on any toes. Okay, so in the Genesis narrative, we, we notice one thing that we have to, Dress and attention of like, well, what do we do, right? God is not giving you instruction to do something that he won't either do for you or with you, and he leads by example. So when he teaches us Sabbath, it's because he rested, okay? Um, Exodus 20, how many of you remember the 10 Commandments? What I'm doing is I'm gonna take you on a journey, okay? Like when I teach, I can't just give you like my revelation that I got because I feel like that, that's not gonna hold weight. It might impress you, it might feel good to your ears, like, wow, that was powerful. That was a powerful revelation. Any revelation I get that doesn't match with this, I, I don't wanna give it to you. Like, I, I wanna give you what he says, because that's what's gonna carry weight, right? I'm not here to impress you, I wanna instruct you. So Exodus 20, Moses is receiving the 10 commandments. It says this in verse eight through 11 of Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Actually, sorry. I got the clicker for a reason, right? I might as well use it. Uh, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male, your servant, your female, servant, your livestock, or the sojourner, which just basically means the foreigner, um, within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. On the seventh day, that therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day, or the Sabbath day, geez, and made it holy. Okay, there's something, it's like when we read scripture, how many of you like you read things and you just like realize like I've read it, like I've read this and I didn't retain anything I just read. That was like my whole education system growing up. I would like, my teacher would send, you know, you need to read To Kill a Mockingbird. And I'm like, this is, I don't wanna read To Kill a Mockingbird. And then you'd read it and they'd take the test and you're like, did I, I read this thing twice. I don't remember anything. Some of us are really illiterate with the word because we just read for face value, but we, we retain absolutely nothing. And when the biblical writers are writing, they're not writing to entertain you. There's a reason for the narrative. There's a picture that they're actually painting. So notice, out of all of the Ten Commandments, there's only one that you're to remember. So he doesn't say, hey, remember not to like murder people. 
Remember like, hey, don't have sex with your neighbor's wife. Just remember not to do that. Because you probably shouldn't forget. And if, and if you do, that's really bad. And we have pastoral care here. If you need that, if you're like that person that fits that category, we love you and we accept you. And we will transform you. <laughs> but the reason, see, here's the reason. We're prone to amnesia as Christians, we're, which just means we're prone to forgetting. So out of the 10 commandments, only one of them we're required to remember. Why is that? Because we're prone to forget. And if I can say this, the reason you feel anxious and stressed out in life is probably because you're trying to sustain your life. And that's control. And it'll never get you anywhere. And you'll actually accomplish more in rest than you ever will in work. And for you people that are workers, that seems like heresy. Like what? And now I'm not saying don't go to work. We need you to work. Can I make, a, can I make like a fatherly statement for this house? God gave them a day of rest because they worked hard for six days. So for, for like, like I'm preaching to the choir. When I was like in my early 20s, like bro, I'm just resting. But the reality is like, I didn't even work like 20 hours a week. So, so when you're like, dude, I don't need a Sabbath, that's fine because, you know, if you, whatever. But they had six days of work. So he's teaching them to rest, okay? Now, our society does not know how to rest, point blank. We do not know how to rest. Um, now, as a pastor, here's, here's the tension, not that I have in this house, but that I've seen in pastors or that I've had as a pastor. If I, if I preached on nine of the Ten Commandments, don't murder people, that would be like what qualifies me for my job, right? Don't sleep with people. That's pastoral, right? Uh, and if I broke one of those, do you think I would probably lose my job? Like if I murdered, this is just an illustration. If I, mur- if I murdered G-Man, I'd probably lose my job. If, if I did other things that are in the commandments, we don't need to go there, I'd probably lose my job. But you know what would happen if I didn't preach on just resting and stopping, I'd probably get a raise. If I didn't even rest, I'd probably get a raise because man, you're doing great and you work so hard and you don't stop, here's a promotion. So we don't really believe in 10 commandments. We believe in nine and then like a really kind of semi-suggestion. I'm just provoking you to think about this. Is it working? Are you, does this make sense? Okay, I might ask you if it makes sense because I don't, as I'm teaching, I don't wanna go somewhere if you're not feeling like you're, you're getting it, okay? All right. In, um, in Leviticus 25, you don't have to flip there, I'm just gonna read. The Lord lays out in the law, how many of you have read Leviticus? It's a pretty good book, right? Why are you laughing? It's a great book. <laughs> nah, Brian. <laughs> it's really good, like if you have trouble sleeping at night, and you feel like there's spirits, just read Leviticus, they'll go away, it, and you'll fall asleep. It'll be great. <laughs> um, but in, in Leviticus 25, um, the Lord lays out the Sabbath year instructions to Moses. He says this in verse four. He said, the Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land that I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe Sabbath. The land for six years, sow your fields, and for six years, prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, for it is a Sabbath to the Lord. 
Okay, then he goes on in chapter 26, verse 12, after all the instructions to tell him how I will bless you if you honor these instructions. He says this, in verse 12 of chapter 26, and I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. Think about that statement, and I will walk among you. Does it remind you of any, any type of relationship that people used to have with God? Maybe the Eden narrative? I will walk among you. It's the same exact Hebrew used in Genesis. So it's a reference to the Eden type of relationship. Uh, However, like Israel is prone to do, they actually forget to remember the Sabbath. They actually forget to do a lot of things. And I would say this as a pastor. Listen, I love people. I, I like... I mean, sacrificially, I would give my life for people. It's part, partly why like, I love serving the country. However, there is a lot of people that remind me of Israel sometimes as a pastor. <laughs> and and one, 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 uh, one, one theologian that I read said this. He said, you know, it was really easy for God to get Israel out of Egypt. What was hard for him was to get, sorry, I butchered that. It was really easy to get Israel out of Egypt. What was hard for Yahweh was to get Egypt out of Israel. And as a pastor, I'm thinking, yes, yes. Listen, I love evangelism, but that's easy. Because it's easy. It's, let's pray. There's no really commitment. I'm just like, and I'm not downplaying evangelism. I'm just saying, that's easy. What's hard is to walk a people through life and help them not return to Egypt. That's really costly. So what happens is in Exodus 20, Israel repeatedly forgets to remember Sabbath, right? He says this, this was their punishment for forgetting Sabbath in Exodus 20. It says this, so I led them out of the land of Egypt. I brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my Sabbath. This is the Lord talking to them. As a sign between me and them that they might know that I'm the Lord who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me. They rejected my rules, and my Sabbath they profaned. In Jeremiah 17, it says this. Jeremiah prophesies, but keep the Sabbath day holy, as I commanded your fathers, but they didn't listen or incline their ears, but they stiffened their neck. This is what he, he's just talking about. Like, they didn't just, this is just because they didn't Sabbath. Not just sin. They didn't know how to rest. So he called them a stiff-necked people. Some of us have stiff necks. We need to learn how to rest. Okay, I know this is feeling really like mundane and, and boring. It's gonna go somewhere. I'm giving you some his background to get you to like encourage you so you feel better about yourself, okay? Um, so what happens is, believe this or not, take your own time to research this, Israel's disobedience beyond worshiping other gods, one of their greatest sins was their refusal to keep the Sabbath holy. And do you know what happened to them? God exiled them out of, out of the, their own land. He allowed Babylon to come in, take them as captives. And do you know why he let, okay, he's never gonna let us down, right? Okay. He allowed Babylon to come in Take Israel as captives. Take their women as prostitutes, their children as slaves. And he allowed them. Now, if this is messing with your theology, I'm sorry. I I don't wanna protect you from what, what actually happened. This is what happens. I'm not saying it still happens. This is what happened. He let Babylon 
rule over them for 70 years. Do you know why for 70 years? So the land could have its Sabbath. So he let a people go into slavery so that the land, which they didn't take care of and steward and rest, could have its own rest. Think about, like, what? In 2 Chronicles, it's documented. It says this here. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rest for all of the time that it lay desolate until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word the Lord had spoken. So what, God doesn't like care about his people? No, he does, but they rejected his, obedience, his instructions. So he says, actually, you guys are gonna go into slavery and captivity for 70 years. I love you and I'll be with you and I'll give you prophets that'll tell you that you're wrong and you need to go back to the land and take care of the land, but you're not gonna listen to me because you're a stubborn people, but the land's gonna get the rest I want it to get. Just for land. Okay, let's move on. Is this making sense? Okay, all right. So Israel paid a price for their lack of rest. You will pay a price if you do not learn how to rest. See, a lot of, listen, I'm charismatic by nature, but I love to balance the tension. I love to like put things in charismatics ears to make them think like, bro, are you like sensationist? No, I'm a charismatic, but we have to have more common sense. Uh, Sometimes it's like, dude, there's this demonic spirit and I have anxiety. What if you just don't know how to rest? Okay, I feel like I'm losing control because you are in control too much. Like we give way too much credit to the enemy for things. Like can you imagine Israel sitting in captivity in Babylon saying, this is just the devil, this is Satan. No, 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 no. It was your disobedience that led you there. And at a moment's notice, he would have rescued them, but they didn't want it. Okay, we'll move on. So if you don't learn how to rest, this is my pastoral exhortation to you before we move on. If you do not know how to rest, either you or your children or the people around you will pay for it. See, we don't, I heard, I heard um, this scholar that I really enjoy talk, talk, talk about this verse in Second Chronicles um, about how the land received its rest, but the people did not receive their rest, right? He said, you know, as Christians, we, we don't believe in child sacrifice, like abortion, right? We don't believe in it. But pastors refuse to rest all the time and sacrifice their family to ministry all the time. So the question is, like, if I don't learn how to rest, who's paying for that? Somebody's gonna pay for it. Either it's you or it's your children. And we got a lot of PKs in the church who are bitter towards God because they believe God took their parents away from them, but really their parents didn't know how to rest and create a balance. Okay, so that's Old Testament. We got our Old Testament notes? Okay. Okay, let's move to the New Testament. Oh, everybody's like, I can breathe now. We can, let's talk about Jesus. Uh, people struggle with the Old Testament, man. I'll tell you this. It's the better book. I'm not saying it's better than Jesus. I'm saying without it, you can't even appreciate who he is. Without the Old Testament, our letters and our documents and everything we have, Dead Sea Scrolls, wouldn't even be what they are without the Old Testament. I feel like a lot of the church, and I'm just being honest, that are more spiritually empowered are just really lazy. And we don't wanna read the Old Testament because it contradicts a lot of what we think God is. But the reality is if you really get into the word, he's on every page. He's in every book, he's in every chapter. You can see him. 
And if you're gonna have the mind of Christ, right? We talk, oh, bro, I just have the mind of Christ. I can't believe these thoughts. Like, that's not who I am. I have the mind of Christ. Then you should know the Old Testament. Okay, all right. Okay, I got my clicker. I got my laser pointer. Gabriel, wake up. Okay, <laughs> this thing is dangerous. I love this. I used to hate the, the teachers that had the clickers, and I've become one of them. What is wrong with me? Uh, maybe it's just a control thing. I don't know. Okay. All right, New Testament. Let's get to, how about the gospel? Oh, I forgot to do that slide. Sorry. Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. You guys all know this. Come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. I love that he just describes himself as that. Other translations say, for I'm gentle and humble. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I love Eugene Peterson's translation in the message. He says this, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? <laughs> Just come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Gosh, put that on your refrigerator, you know? Um, what, what made Jesus unique wasn't that he had a yoke. Um, and, and I've said this multiple times, but I've never taught our whole church this, but yoke wasn't just a piece of equipment that oxen would be you know, tied to. Yoke was an idiom. It was like a word phrase. It was a play on words that a yoke was a way uh, a teacher or a rabbi would actually interpret Torah and teach Torah and live out Torah. So when Jesus comes on the scene, he says, listen, take my yoke because it's easy. The people feeling weighed down would think, well, what is he seeing in the Torah that all of the religious leaders aren't seeing? How can he look at the Old Testament? I mean, think about us. We, are, we look at the Old Testament and it's daunting. Imagine if I came as a pastor and said, listen, 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 listen follow me because the way I read the Old Testament, it's cake. You'd be like, either you're way off or... I don't know what's going on here. So when he's, he's provoking people, he's provoking them away from the religious system to come to him. So what made him unique wasn't that he had a yoke because all rabbis had a yoke. They had a way of seeing the law and living that out and teaching it. It was that he had an easy yoke. If you're feeling weighed down, you're not yoked to him. Not only are you not yoked to him, but he says this. He says, come and learn from me. There is something he wants to actually teach us in rest. Uh, Craig Keener, he's a New Testament scholar. He comments on this passage. He says this. He says, animals often carried yokes, but when a man carried a yoke, it was because he was poor. Judaism applied this image to subjection or obedience. So basically, they saw the yoke as not just the ox and what the oxen would use, but they saw a yoke was like me being under something in obedience to that something. He says, Jewish people spoke of carrying the yoke of God's law and the yoke of his kingdom which one accepted by acknowledging that God was one and by keeping his commandments. So essentially is come to me, my yoke is easy, my yoke is light, is come to me, learn obedience, because it's really easy. Like the Old Testament, it was supposed to be easy. They made it hard. Like we have three children, and every day, every day, if I let my son go out, and both of them, really, because they're both in this stage of life, if I let them go outside to play, they would immediately run to the street. Like, easy. Don't go to the street. 
straight to the street, every single time. Today, we were playing cat. Today was Sabbath. We, we practiced Sabbath every week. We went to Costco. We went to the trampoline park. We did things. We were playing catch outside, my son and I, before we came here. And as soon as the ball goes into the street, he, he's gonna jet into the middle of the street. So I have to tell him, Reagan, stop. Because if you don't, you're gonna get hit by a car. And he says, that would hurt. I said, it would hurt really bad. Like, it would be very bad for your mother and I. Don't go into the street. But if he doesn't listen... I have to confine him. So, okay, so maybe we, you know, build a fence in our front yard. Let's say we do that. And I say, Reagan, we're gonna go play outside, don't go in the street. If he climbs over the fence and goes in the street, okay, now we have to go to the backyard, okay? If he somehow gets out of the backyard, okay, you're just gonna have to stay in the house. That's exactly how the law worked. So as their disobedience grew, the requirements became stricter and stricter and stricter because they kept refusing to be obedient. So when we look at the law, we think, why was that God's plan? That was never God's plan. The problem was is they, they were just really disobedient. And what happens as a parent when you have disobedient children? You give them rules, right? Or house chores, which are sometimes just demonic. I, I hated house chores. I'm still growing in house chores. I promise I'll get the carpets clean soon, <laughs> We've had a carpet cleaner for a year, and I've done one room. That's the truth, right? I'm not lying to the people. She's like, when are you gonna clean the carpets? Just soon. Like Jesus says, I'll be back soon, soon. I'll, I'll do it soon. <laughs> okay. Okay, let's move on. Let me encourage you about this. The Sabbath, the Sabbath is, I'm gonna read this. The Sabbath is more than rest. It's actually a piece of equipment for your discipleship to Jesus. Frederick Dale Bruner, he's, a, he's a, a scholar. He says this, a yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think a tired person would need the least. They probably need a mattress. Maybe they need a vacation, but definitely not a yoke. He goes on to say, but Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give tired people is a new way to live life, a fresh way to bear responsibility. Instead of offering escape, Jesus offers them equipment. I love that statement. Instead of escape, it's equipment, right? So we would say, how many of you would say as, as charismatics or whatever, you can be Baptist and be here, that's fine. It's not a big deal. I'm just, I'm just saying most of our crowd is charismatic, okay? Um, or spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, whatever you wanna say. How many of you would say that I, right now, am on a journey to living like the lifestyle of Jesus? Just raise your hand, come on. If you're from lifestyle Christianity, your hand, both your hands better be raised. <laughs> Okay, thank you. Um, here's the problem, though. There's a disconnect. See, we want, we want to experience the life that Jesus offers, but we, want, we don't want to adopt his lifestyle. We want to adopt our ideology of what we think he has for us. But if you're going to become like Jesus, you have to live like Jesus. But here's the problem with Sabbath, right? One, one scholar says this. He says, Sabbath is kind of just an awkward fit in our fast-paced, work-drunk and production-obsessed world. It's kind of like that drunk uncle at Christmas, like you don't really know what to do with him, you know, but he comes every year, he's, and you know, you already know who that person is. I could hear it in my mind. That's like my uncle, you know, Uncle Jan, she's divorced, she drinks a lot. I don't know who it is, but it's somebody in your family. You have that one person that everybody talks about, and then they come to Christmas once a year. And you're like, I wonder what they're gonna wear. I wonder what they're gonna do. I wonder what, every family's got one, I got one, okay? Um, 
So Sabbath's a problem because we don't really know what to do with it. It's like the Holy Spirit. So usually when we don't know what to do with something, there's two options. We reject it or we try to control it. So let me read this. Mark, whoa, sorry. Mark 2, verse 23. You're gonna, it's like a fire hose of Bible, but just take it. I promise we're gonna get encouraging, okay? Um, I couldn't go home just encouraging you. I, ha- I wanna give you something. So uh, Mark 2, 23 through 27, this is Jesus and his disciples. They're, it's Sabbath, right? They're, they're going about their day. And, and Mark documents this. He says, one Sabbath he was going through the grain fields and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. What do you do when you're in a grain field? You play with the grain, right? Um, and the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anybody but the priests? And he also gave it to the people that were with him. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What's powerful here, and we, we don't realize this, in Jesus's day, that statement is a very profound statement. And it's the second portion of that. Man was not made for Sabbath. In our day and age, we need to hear the Sabbath was made for man. Does that make sense? He says this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. His audience needed to hear the reality that man wasn't created to honor the Sabbath, but that was the system that they lived in. And I'll get to that in a moment. But our audience today needs, you need to hear this. The Sabbath was created for you, okay? What happens was is the disciples broke these things called fence laws, okay? How many of you, do you even know what fence laws are? It's okay, you don't have to raise your hand. But basically, fence laws were these additional rules and regulations. Now, at the end of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, there was 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So you know what happens to Christians when they don't hear from God? they get some crazy ideas. <laughs> Tim Keller uh, says this. He says, if, if God never disagrees with you, you probably worship an idealized version of yourself. And I thought, as a pastor, I notice when God is silent in people's lives, they, they get a little weird because you're created to worship something. You're created to receive something. And what happens when man doesn't receive something? They figure something out. So what happened was the religious system had their 613 commi- uh, laws and 10 commandments, but there was 400 years of silence. So like, have any, have any of you ever been to a national park or any, anywhere like that, like Grand Canyon? Okay, because people act dumb sometimes, they wanna take selfies, so they have to create barriers at the Grand Canyon, because who would think, don't get close to the edge, right? It's like, Gosh, it's common sense. Don't get close to the edge because nobody on Instagram cares anyways. Uh, but they create, they create these things. They cre- I'm not on social media. But my encouragement to you is just, it's destroying your soul. Just get off it. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Our, our marketing guy, guru, Gabriel, said that that's not allowed. So I'm sorry. Um, just do it for your soul. Okay. So what happened was, is these fence laws, the religious leaders thought they would do charity for Yahweh. They would say, well, he hasn't been speaking, so in order to protect the commandments and the laws, we should create some more rules to protect those commandments and laws. So they created fence laws. So imagine like at the Grand Canyon, every time somebody probably dies, I'm assuming they probably put the barrier a little further back. So what happened was, is fence laws kept them for the good thi- from the good thing, the law, 
But in their control and in their fear, they started creating more and more barriers. So by the time Jesus gets on the scene, they're thinking that man needs to honor the Sabbath. And Jesus is thinking, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. Sabbath was made for the man, not man for Sabbath. Like the day's not a day of hoops to jump through. This was created for you. Uh, does, that make, does that make any sense? Okay, okay. So the Sabbath is also like the lottery. How many of you have ever known anybody that's won the lottery? Anybody? No? Have you? Yeah? Did it go well for them? It, this is beautiful, Hannah. Thank you so much. If you would have said yes, I wouldn't even know what to say. But you said no. So the lottery, the lottery is a gift, but if you don't steward it, it'll destroy you. I mean, you can watch documentaries on Netflix about families that have been destroyed by winning great sums of money. Because here's the important lesson about the Sabbath as a gift. More critical than the gift is how you handle it. Right? So Jesus doesn't actually remove Sabbath. He redefines what Sabbath really is. He explains that the Sabbath observance is not just for now, but it's actually pointing to a greater future. So when we practice rest, it's our idea and it's our actual acting out of worship of there's gonna be a day coming called rest and it'll be forever. And he also goes on to say, I'm Lord over the Sabbath. And yeah, let's just keep talking. Is this good? Are you getting anything about this? Okay, all right. His last week alive, think about this. If you had 10 days to live, I asked Elsie, the students, this. I said, if you had 10 days to live, what would you do? And some of them, like, felt like it was a trick question. And nobody, like, wanted to raise their hand. I said, come on, like. And I told them, I said, listen, if I had 10 days to live, we'd get on a jet plane, we'd fly to Italy, eat gelato, have a bunch of carbs. Then I would probably go to somewhere, like, I don't know, somewhere beautiful like Fiji or, I don't know, all these fancy names in the islands. But we would probably do as much as humanly possible because we only have 10 days. Jesus' last 10 days, he takes two to rest. Most of you wouldn't know this, but on Wednesday, the day before Passover, is called, um, it's called Shabbat Haggadah, which means the great Sabbath. They only do it once a year, and it's on the Wednesday leading up to the Friday, which is Sabbath, uh, or Passover. So not only did Jesus rest on Passover, but he rested on Wednesday thinking, why would God take two full days out of 10 just to rest? Like, it seems counterproductive. Like, if you got 10 days to live, you go get the message out, right? Not for the Lord. I've heard this said, <laughs> this is so terrible. I've heard, I've heard this said, well, I've heard it said by a lot of leaders, too. Well, we're Christians, so we shouldn't take a day off because, like, the devil doesn't take a day off. That's why he's the devil. Like, <laughs> he doesn't know how to rest. Like, he doesn't take days off. So you know what we should do as a Christian church? Because we don't know what to do. We'll just take what the devil does and like try his way. And think we're going to get somewhere. There's this quote by Corey Ten Boom. She says, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Corey Ten Boom was a, um, she was actually a Dutch, a Dutch Christian who housed Jews uh, during the Holocaust, she converted them into Christians. And I thought, wow, what a, what a profound statement. If he can't make me sin, he'll just make me really busy. I wanna look at one theological topic about rest in the life of Jesus. Can we go there? 
Okay, remember Matthew 12? He heals a woman who was possessed, and he goes on to this weird, weird statement about when a spirit leaves a person, it goes into the wilderness looking for rest. He actually pulls that from the Apocrypha. Uh, that's a long story. Uh, but it's a story within the Apocrypha. Uh, he says this, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Okay, so you're thinking, okay, the demonic are looking for rest. Okay. Um, Revelation 14, it says this, and those who worship the beast and its image will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented. The smoke of the torment will go up forever and ever, and they will have no rest. I'm painting a picture theologically just for the life of Jesus, and then we'll keep going. In Job 1, verse 7, do you remember this? Satan approaches the Lord, <laughs> which that's like, we could have a whole week of teaching on that, like the devil has access to talk to the Lord. Okay, let's not go there. All right. Remember he says, Satan approaches the Lord, and the Lord says, where have you come from? I love when God asks dumb questions. <laughs> like he, it's almost this reminder of like, I casted this dude out. He knows where he's been. He knows he's not welcome here anymore. He can't even get access to here. So when he approaches, hey, where'd you come from? Do we not see like the humor of God? Listen, Satan approaches the Lord and the Lord says, from where do you come? Causing him to remember, yeah, you got kicked out, dude. Yeah. Uh, and Satan answered the Lord. Now listen, this is profound. Satan answered the Lord he said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down. That word fro in Hebrew, it's spelt shut, S-U-H-T, but you pronounce shoot. It literally means to rove about eagerly and quickly. So he's saying, I've been eagerly pacing the earth and quickly, looking to and fro. To rove about, rove in the Oxford Dictionary is to travel constantly without a fixed destination. So the enemy can't even find rest. He's constantly, he's eagerly, he's quickly looking around the earth, seeking whom we may devour because he doesn't know how to rest. I heard one scholar say, I don't really believe this, but it was a joke. He said, maybe if he learned how to just like have a siesta or Sabbath, maybe he wouldn't be the devil anymore. I thought, no, it's a funny joke, but that's not true. Okay, don't, please don't go to Twitter and say like, hey, Risen Nation said that the devil wouldn't be the devil if he Sabbath. That's not what I'm saying. I was quoting somebody else. What's social media these days? People just, you know, anyways. So, so if the enemy goes to and fro on the earth, he travels constantly without a fixed destination, I'm thinking, that's like a lot of the church. Like, half of us are eager and we're constant because we don't even know where we're headed. We don't have a fixed destination. Last thing on this. Do you wanna know one of the main differences between God and the demonic? Is that God knows how to rest. Not only does he know how to rest, but he invites you into it. Hebrews chapter four says this. this Hebrews four is so good. Like, I always, I always joke you don't need to go to Bible college. Just read Hebrews and just when you finish it, read it again and read it again and you'll learn everything about the Old Testament you need to know 
and you don't need to go to Bible college. Just know Hebrews, okay? Okay. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. This is Hebrews 4, 6 through 8. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's my, that's my exhortation to you too. When you hear this, don't harden your heart, okay? For if Joshua, which is actually the English translation of the Hebrew word Yeshua, um, so Joshua literally is a type and shadow of Christ, right? For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have never spoken about another day coming. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever had entered God's rest has rested from his works as God did. And let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So God rested on the seventh day. Joshua led Israel into a type of shadow of rest. But wait a second, Hebrews is saying that there's a day to come. There's a future rest. So God called the Hebrews in Egypt and he still is calling us today, right? What we, the, the, the important thing about rest is that it causes you to question your priorities in life. It not only causes you to question your priorities, it causes you to question the culture in which you live in, okay? Because especially in the church, like as pastors, we equate like Gabriel, Gabriel's a Christian because he's busy at church. Gabriel must be a disciple of Jesus because he's at the church three days a week. And somehow busyness equates to discipleship and it's a lie. It's a flat out lie. Just because you do Christian things doesn't mean you're a disciple of Jesus. Again, if you want to become like the rabbi, you have to follow his ways. So Sabbath is more than just stopping. It's actually a rhythm, okay? In the Genesis story, God worked for six days, then he rested on the Sabbath. So he built a rhythm, work, rest, work, rest. And as a pastor, I'll say this, work. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and then rest, but work. Like work is good, right? Okay, because I didn't think that for a lot of years. There was a lot of tension in our marriage because I thought I was called to ministry and that meant not working. But then you realize that Adam, before his sin, had a job. So if we've been redeemed back to the garden as if we've never sinned, I think having a job is a good thing. Okay, H.H. H. Farmer once said, if you go against the grain of the universe, you're gonna get splinters. I thought that's such a great, that's such a great statement. If you go against the rhythm of Sabbath, you're gonna get splinters. And it's gonna hurt, and it's not just gonna hurt you, it's gonna hurt everybody around you. Because here's the reality, some of your family members need rest from you. Listen, we're married. Sometimes I need rest away, she needs rest away, because we're better when we come back together after rest. Are any of you married? Is this tracking with any married couple? If you are married and you recognize that it's good to have rest sometimes apart, raise your hand. Thank you. That's a healthy marriage. If you're like, no, bro, we're like in covenant and we just never need rest from each other, I'm thinking, I'm thinking a lot of things. Okay. So Sabbath is a rhythm, but it's also resistance. In a society addicted to the drugs of accomplishment and accumulation, the Sabbath is an act of resistance. It's our way of saying enough. No. No more. Not only is it rhythm and resistance, but it's actually theology. Can, I, can we walk there? Okay, let's do it. Um, 
Wow, I forgot that whole slide too. This is just bad. Why do I do this? Okay, Sabbath as theology. Here's a few points. The Sabbath is built into the rhythm of creation. One, it's blessed. It's holy. It's not a day off. It's a day for worship. So if I could tell you this, the way in which I approach Sabbath is not a list of things I don't do. But I set aside one day of duty to just delight. So this morning, I woke up, I made the kids French toast, we put powdered sugar on it. I told my son that it was like, it was like snow sugar. And he said, I don't want it. And I said, just try it, you're gonna like it. And he loved it. Uh, we went to the trampoline park, went to Costco, had to return some laundry detergent that just, we just didn't enjoy. But that was my Sabbath. That didn't feel like work. That was actually delight for me, to, to make breakfast for the kids, to go to the trampoline park. Costco was crazy. It was chaos. Um, but I refused to check my bank account, budget, maybe do dishes. We set aside a day to rest. And in the rest, it's a form of worship. And it's both a command and a gift. Think about that. It's a command, but it's also a gift. See, there's a lot of people that I've talked to that don't believe in Sabbath, and I'm like, dude, what are you fighting against? Why would you fight against a gift? Everybody in the charismatic church wants tongues. They want to prophesy. They want words of knowledge, but nobody wants to rest. It's a gift. Take it. Take it. Take it. Right? I, listen, if I had a jacket, I'd be waving it right now. Uh, if William was sitting here, he'd be like, Why, why'd you have to say that? But he's in Oregon, so. Um, not only that, but the Sabbath is a day we are to remember. The, the root word of remember in Hebrew is actually, um, it's actually a verb, it's to act out. So whenever we say, whenever you see in scripture, especially the Old Testament, that God, would you remember? It's not just God, like let it come to your memory, but God act on it, do it. So when he says remember Sabbath, it's not just, hey, don't forget like in your idea, in your mind. Remember, do it. <clears throat> You want to know, I, I didn't plan on talking about this, but I think it might be good. You want to know something cool about the creation story in our Bible versus every other creation story in every other religion? There's three things. The only thing that separates the Bible's creation story from other religions are many things, but three very, very critical things. One of them is that in our story, our God, everything that he makes is good. That's, that's one thing that sets us apart in our creation story. The second thing is that women are made in the image of him. No other religion will tell you that. Gosh, I feel emotional just thinking about that. And yet, as Christians, we're still oppressive towards women. Like, okay, can I go on the woman talk for a second? <laughs> I just, I just wanna, I wanna break some stigmas that we have because of bad teaching, false teaching. I'll call it that. So the first evangelist in the New Testament was a woman. She left her well and led a whole city to Jesus. The first apostle in church history was a woman. The first sent one, go and tell your brothers that I'm resurrected. That's the first apostle ever, because an apostle just is one that's sent. She was the first one sent after the resurrection. 
And all the men want to be like behind the pulpit. I'm thinking, bro, we need to hear from some women because if we didn't hear from that woman, we wouldn't have known that he rose from the dead. We wouldn't even have any of these things. Not only that, but think about this. Paul sends Romans with Phoebe to Rome. Okay, I would never feel qualified to take (laughs) any of Paul's letters to any church because if Paul was to give a letter to Tanner, let's say Tanner, right? Tanner right here, this handsome man. You're very handsome, by the way. Uh, man crush, we have a man crush. Uh, I have a man crush. Sorry, that was just me. Uh, if, if I would, if I, let's say I'm Paul, right? Can we like, can we just play? I'm Paul and I'm writing Romans, which one of these days we're gonna talk about the origins of how letters were compiled because I think it's really cool. Um, but let's say I, I write a letter and I send it with Tanner. Why would I send it with Tanner? Like, because Tanner would know the fabric of every thought I had about what I wrote in the letter. So he would take the letter to Rome, not only read it aloud, but he'd answer all their questions. And Paul sends a woman with Romans. I'm thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm thinking, I don't know how Will does it every week. Did you see that? Every week I watch him and he'll just go, and I'm thinking, how do you do that? That would have been really bad. That would have been like on worship fails or something like that. <laughs> the devil thought he had me. No. Uh, see, it's because I'm teaching you how to rest. He's trying to kill me. All right, I'm going to stay up here. I'm going to stay up here. <laughs> no, we're giving him too much credit. Okay, women aside, they're the only ones in our creation story that are made in his image. Third is our creation story is the only one in which our creator gives us rest. And not only rest, but a full day of rest. Think about all the religions out there that you have to work your way into something, whether it's reincarnation or enlightenment. You have to work your way into, whether it's like Mormonism, you're gonna have like your own planet. Like, listen, I'm, just, I'm telling you, this stuff is out there. Like, I'm not, I'm not beating anybody up over the head. I'm saying these these theological differences are pivotal as to why we're Christians. So if, if we're, okay, if we're tired and we're restless, there's a reason. It's because you have bad habits. And if you, okay, water. I'm narrating my own thing. If you've learned through repetition by bad habits, guess what? You can learn good habits by repetition because repetition equals formation. So you are actually being formed by anxiety because you don't know how to stop. You're being formed by busyness and hurry and angst because you don't know how to stop. But there's good news. And it's not gonna require you having a thousand demons casted out of you and having eight charismatics shout at you for 35 minutes. It's just learning to do things differently. Repent for the kingdom of God's at hand. Change the way you think, change the way you live, and think about things differently. That's Jesus' whole message. Think about things differently. So where do we start? How do you, like, okay, Joey, like you're telling me about Sabbath, what do I do, right? Okay, so if you're single, you work part-time, or like you're a mom of like 12 kids, like Sharon. Okay, I know it's not 12, but we can, we can play. Uh, <laughs> How, how do we rest? Or not only that, but COVID hit, my, my kids are homeschooled or like I, we do private school and it's just chaos. Like how can I have a whole day? Maybe it doesn't start with a whole day. Maybe it starts with an hour. It's like working out. Like 
I'm, t- I'm teaching you about a marathon, but that doesn't mean go sign up for like the LA Marathon. Like you probably wanna train a little bit, like build some stamina. So for some of you, you may feel condemned of like, well, I'm not resting, I feel anxious, I feel busy, I don't know what to do. Take one hour a day. If you cannot afford to rest one hour a day, email me and I will help you because we need to really reevaluate your schedule. One hour a day to just rest. I promise you what you find in that place, you'll want it to be way longer than an hour. You're gonna be addicted to it. And you're gonna be the most rested, hardest working person at your work. Or you'll be, imagine of just having like moms who, like it was funny, we were at, I was at LCU last week teaching and I was teaching them about discipleship and apprenticeship in the first century and what it looked like uh, to follow a rabbi. And I was talking about how, remember those bracelets, what would Jesus do? I know some of you wore them. I wore them as an unbeliever because it gave me comfort as a Catholic that because I have the bracelet, it's like my ticket into the concert in heaven or something. I don't know. But it made me feel like at peace. It made me feel like Jesus is like, he's got me. I have my Jesus bracelet. And I was telling them like, what would Jesus do is a really terrible question because Jesus isn't me and Jesus isn't you. So what would Jesus do? I don't know. But he definitely wouldn't be holding the black magic camera like William Lentz's because he wasn't here when black magic cameras were invented. So what would he do? I don't know. The question is, what would Jesus do if he were me? Because you have this angst and pressure of like moms that have to get up and breastfeed at 1 a.m. What would Jesus do? Like, well, first of all, he was a male and he was single and he didn't breastfeed people. So like, we should really reevaluate our approach to this, you know, question. The question is, what would Jesus do if he were me? Would he teach me how to rest? Would he teach me what rest looked like? Remember, there's this, there's this moment where the disciples are kind of like, it, they're frazzled. They're bothered. And you know what Jesus tells them? Go away and take a nap. Some, that's my pastoral encouragement to you. If you're, if you're just irritated by everybody, try taking naps. Start with a nap. I took a nap today, and it did not last long because... My son, who I thought I was asleep, wasn't asleep. The baby started screaming, and I thought, that's okay. 10 minutes is good. So, sometimes it's 10 minutes, okay? Uh, but, but, but listen, start somewhere. If you know how to put on upper room and soaking music, and you could spend, like I hear people say, I spend eight hours a day with God. I'm thinking, what does he tell you for eight hours? Like, what do you do for eight hours? Like, eight hours? That's a long time. It's great, but eight hours, I'm like, I don't think I've ever spent eight hours with God in one sitting. Like, is that a bad thing as a pastor to say? Like, gosh, if I got one hour of silence in my house, that would be the Lord. Like, that would be Jesus, you know? Um, So start somewhere. Start with an hour. You promise me you'll try that? One hour of nothing. And shut your phone off. It's crazy the way... Listen, this is an Apple product. Isn't it crazy that like every time I look at it, it reminds me of an Apple that's had a bite taken out of it? Like maybe you should question what tree you're really eating of all week and then you need to learn how you rest. Like learn how to rest. Now I'm an Apple fan. Get your Android out of here. I don't wanna hear it, okay? Like I... We will go into a three-week theology about why Apple is better than Android. Okay, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Listen, that's a golden calf in a lot of the church, even just as a product, okay? The reason that you need to practice rest is because you're not like a factory. You're not an institution. You're an incarnation. You are the 
uh, image of God, Imago Dei. You were created in the image of God. Why would you not want to participate in what God did for himself? Did God need to rest? I don't know, but he did it. Do you need to rest? Yes, because you're not God. Like, I, I hate to say it. None of you are Jesus. And that's the best thing you can hear today. But we are all on our way to becoming more like him. And you don't get to become like him if you don't learn how to rest like he did. So start with an hour a day and shut your phone off. And don't read the news for that hour. I'm not saying don't read the news, okay? I'm not against like everything, but just shut off. Shut your brain off. Relax. I want to teach our kids how to Sabbath, but they're not, they're not even close. <laughs> because the reality is, and I, and, I, and I don't know if I've mentioned this before, um, but as Christians, we have this desire to institutionalize everything, right? So we, we go to a healing meeting, somebody gets healed that we pray for, so now we start a healing conference. <laughs> or I'm not against healing conferences. We have been to many, 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 many conferences. I mean, I was an event director for Lifestyle. We were at a lot of conferences. But we have this innate thing to, as humans, we just institutionalize things. So when we see that something works, we create an organization or a movement around it. So we get excited about missions. So we take off our shoes, put them in the air, and say, here we are, send us. And then we create like a missions movement. I'm not saying it's bad, but the reality is that you're not an institution, and neither is God. He's incarnational. And so the difference between an institution and a garden is that gardens take time, they take cultivation, they take patience, and you have to let it rest in order to let it grow. Like you're not the factory at Amazon. You, you cannot produce any more than he will allow you to. And somehow in the church we have this thing of like, if I can just do more for God, somehow he's either gonna be pleased with me or I'm gonna get more fruit in my life. And the whole time I feel like he just sits as a good dad and he's like, I'm not blessing any of that production stuff. Like I, I don't even wanna touch it. It's all production, right? Because there's nothing that you can produce that's gonna give you rest, nothing. You can make more money, you can have a greater job, you can have a better degree, you won't find rest in that. God's looking for people that practice and pause, not perform or produce. We have to be a people of Jesus, a Sabbath people that learn how to pause and practice pausing. Because a lot of the mental health, not just in the world, there's a reason for that, but in the church is because we have a church that doesn't know how to pause. St. Augustine once wrote, during the fall of the Roman Empire, he said this, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And I thought, if you feel restless, you need to find him again. If you feel anxious, if you are in a school of ministry like LCU and you're like in there and it's just performance-based and I gotta have the greatest testimony when I come back from outreach, we talked about this a few weeks ago, just, just don't go out on outreach if that's the goal. I can say that now because I'm a pastor at LCU. Did you know that? Like if your, goal, if your goal is to squeeze something out of the Christian life so that you can show it to others, don't go. Because you will receive your, that's why Jesus says you receive your reward when you just share it with people. 
There's a few things I want to hit on, and then we'll wrap up, because I know it's getting late. Is this making sense? Are you, is anybody feeling encouraged? Okay. Some of you are like, I don't know what I think about you yet. That's fine. It's, I promise not to yell at you, though. Um, so we have to start somewhere, right? Um, and when we think about Jesus, you have to realize that Jesus was the least hurried, anxious person who ever's walked the face of the earth. And he accomplished so much that the books couldn't contain, the world couldn't contain the books written in them. So there's gotta be something in that. Let's just pause. If John says that, if everything he did was documented, the world could not contain the books. But yet he was never anxious. You, you think about how many miracles came out of just people interrupting him on his way to do something else or doing something else. God is the God of margin for interruption because God's the God of rest. And when we're rested, we have margin for interruption. A lot of us are frustrated. I mean, I'm preaching the choir. As a parent, I get frustrated when I get interrupted, especially when I'm talking. But then I interrupt you when you're talking. So it's like, it's just a, it's just a bad cycle anyways, right? I gotta work on that. I'm pretty vulnerable. I don't really care if you're like, you have problems as a pastor? Yeah, all your pastors do. <laughs> Everyone you've ever had has a problem. Uh, but the reality is because we're all growing, okay? We're growing into something. But if there's one thing I've learned about this idea of rest is that you work to enter into rest. Wait, 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 wait hold on. Strive to enter into rest. If you do not orient your work around your day of rest, you'll never find your day of rest, ever. And if, and if I could tell you this, and I'm careful to say this because we, we have a lot of younger people here, and like when I was younger, I was still learning how to actually like really work hard. Your rest is, ju- is as, just as, if not more important than your work. Because we get this idea that like, well, God called me to this job. So now I'm gonna overwhelm myself with I'm gonna work so hard to honor God so I can get more money because they're definitely not paying me enough. Uh, I know, that's real, right? Uh, like I found out what minimum wage was in Texas. I was like, they can get away with that? Like I didn't know it was like $8, it's like $8 or something. That's wild. Huh? $7.25. All right, I won't comment. Um, but your rest is so important. You will accomplish more in your rest than you ever will in work. See, because the reality is when we rest, we let go of our idols. We let go of our self-worth, our self-value, our self-image, and we can only trust in God. You know, when, when the early church used to practice Sabbath, it was their way of saying, God is in control of the universe, and I can afford to take a day off. Because guess what's gonna happen when you get back from your day of rest? Nothing's gonna change. Because <laughs> you're not that important. Like, we don't actually contribute that much to society that they feel the effect of our day off. It's crazy. Your job probably doesn't even feel the effect of you taking one day off because you're just, we're not that big. So when we practice rest, it's, it's pressing into the idea that when we rest, God's still in control, everything's gonna be okay. And I can put my work aside and step into worship. Does that make sense? Last comment. This is my, my commission to you, is that you would be a Sabbath people, a people who choose to respond to God's invitation to rest as the prophetic promise 
of the ultimate rest, which is still yet to come. Do you know that there is an ultimate rest that's coming? Okay, I wanna break one more stigma. I have five minutes. America will never look like the kingdom of God. The world will never be the kingdom of God until God restores the world. So our angst to like, well, we gotta get people saved. Jesus is coming. A nation has to be saved in a day. Who's gonna disciple a nation? Like this, this is just as a pastor, things I think about. We throw these blanket statements, but when you make a statement, that statement is gonna be attached to an entire audience that now feels compelled that they have to see it come to that fulfillment. Like this isn't Christian nationalism. The world does not look like the kingdom of God. Is it God's will that the world does? Yes. Will it ever fully? No, not until he restores it. I know this is like basic Bible, like entry to Christianity college class A. Like the world will never look like the kingdom until he restores the world because that's the day it'll become the kingdom of God. But we see glimpses, the Bible says. We have a hope because we have a glimpse. We see moments. So the reality is, you can afford to stop because you're not gonna fix it anyways. Because it's not really your problem to begin with. We as Christians, by nature, we wanna fix everything because we realize like how good God is, so we wanna fix everything to become like God. That we end up working ourselves into our own gods. And we become our own images and our own statues. And the problem with that is it's like Babel. God loves you so much that he'll destroy it. That's actually love, and he'll actually let you down. Does that make, does anybody feel offended by that? Like, I'm just, I'm just encouraging you. Andy's laughing. I love you, Andy. Just Jesus' name. <laughs> but as a pastor in this house, I speak on behalf of Risen Nation. My encouragement to you as, as a prophetic act of the fulfillment that is to come, take a day of rest. Your wife will thank you for it. Your husband will thank you for it. Your kids will, like mom and dad, like they didn't yell at us at all. Like we didn't, like mom and dad gave us sugar for breakfast. What, what's going on? Today after I made, <laughs> after I made French toast, Rico, Reese goes, wow, this is a really good Sabbath breakfast. She's like, thank you for my Sabbath breakfast. I was like, we can do that. That's cool. Like well, Sabbath breakfast. Because the reality is when we rest, God's inviting us into joy. He's inviting us into pleasure. And man, I just wanna be a Christian community that like when people look at us, they may have things about us, like they worship really long, they sing the same song 36 times over. Like there's, there's these things that people think about, like why do they keep singing the same statement over and over and over? I don't know, ask the angels that surround the throne. I don't know. Maybe it's because they're in proximity and they have revelation. They don't have to get creative and have a new worship album every three months. Like, because they're in proximity right? That's just, that's a stab, but it's the love. But what if we were like known as a community that when they looked at us, like they're the most joyful and rested people I've ever been around. Would you stand? Let's pray. Hey, thanks so much for joining today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. If you'd like more information about our church and the events we have going on throughout the week, or even for prayer requests, you can visit us at risennation.org for more information. Grace and peace to you today.